About a year ago, on April 9th, the cover of Newsweek featured Jesus standing in the middle of Times Square. On the inside, there was a deeply personal and analytical article about faith and life. Andrew Sullivan looked at the faith of Thomas Jefferson and the faith of St. Francis of Assisi side by side. In his conclusion, he put it this way. This Christianity comes not from the head or the gut, but from the soul. It is not as meek as it is quietly liberating. It does not seize the moment. It lets it be. It does not seek worldly recognition, and it is not afraid. In the anxious, crammed lives of our modern twittering souls, this sheer Christianity, seeking truth without the expectation of resolution, simply living each day, doing what we can to fulfill God's will, is more vital than ever. And I felt the impact of that kind of a, of a concept all during last week, each and every day. This sheer Christianity, seeking truth without the expectation of resolution, simply living each day, doing what we can to fulfill God's will is more vital than ever. It changes everything. You know, sometimes when you want to focus on something, you close your eyes just for a moment, just so you can blot everything out and just get really focused. And that might be for a minute or might be for just a few seconds. But it's in the closing of your eyes that you go, I really need to focus. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for about 30 seconds. I want you to hear three verses from the book of Proverbs and just focus on them. So please close your eyes right now. Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. There's a passage in Matthew, and in that passage, we, we are reminded of something that is very much deeply embedded in God's hearts. We're reminded of something that the Bible teaches over and over and over again. And when I take a trip like this, these words come to me afresh. Sometimes we read through this and we go, oh yeah, I know the story, I know the story, I know the story. But hear these words in a fresh way this morning as we, as we think about what happened in these last few days. Matthew 25 when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. 
It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And you know the, the rest of the story, the the goats don't fare very well. He did it to me. But here's a question. What story did Jesus tell before this story? Before this very well-known sheep and goats analysis, what was Jesus trying to teach? What was the story before this? Let me tell you, First of all, the story of Michelle. The story of Michelle is a story of a man who has a big heart for God. He is my friend. Uh, he will do whatever God asks him to do anytime, anywhere. He's a teacher. He's a preacher. He's an evangelist. Uh, he's got so much energy, boundless energy. Those of you who have been here for a while know that I actually met him when I went to a leadership summit in Copenhagen, and he and I were working on a team together, and, and when I went back on another visit, he was in a Bible school, and I said, he said, can we eat lunch together? And I said, sure. So we went out to lunch, and very innocuously, I just looked across the table, and I said, what is your dream? I had no idea asking that question would change my life. He looked me dead in the eye, and he said, my dream is to have clean water in my village. The children are sick, the animals are sick. And then he said this, will you help me? That question just sideswiped me. That, that question overwhelmed me. I, I never had been asked a question like that before. Will you help me? And I said the only thing I could say, I will try. And, and the rest of that trying is the story of our going to Togo and, and how we went on the first trip and we dug a well and, and how we went back and, and we've We've done educational ministry, women's ministry. Uh, we've looked at all different aspects of how we might be able to help in this little village. But really, we are, we are assigned by God to help this man, Michelle, this pastor, Michelle. God has him there full-time, working hard all the time. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy with the finances. He's trustworthy with the ministry. And he always has something. As a matter of fact, he not only has something to do, he has three things that must be done immediately in the next minute, in the next morning, in the next... And, and, and I would say, Michelle, how are we going to do this? He goes, we will do this. Yes, we will do this. And, and you know, we're going here, we're going there, and, and we accomplished so much. We accomplished more in a day when we're there because of Michelle than sometimes you can accomplish in, in a month of busyness. He's very focused. He's very driven. He is a man of God. And the Lord has said, help Michelle. Come alongside of him. Be his friend. Let me be honest with you. I could not do 
what he does. I couldn't do it. But I can help him do what God has called him to do. We can help him. And that's the strategic part of what it means to be the body of Christ, to be knit together at the heart level with what God is doing in the world. Michelle, his wife, Audra Marie, they work and they work and they give and they give of themselves. And he makes about $200 a month, $2,400 a year. He's got to take care of church needs and, and when things break down and, you know, but he tirelessly just keeps going. It's a great story. Let me tell you the story of the medicine because that was so important to us as we began to get ready to leave. You gave and you gave and you gave and the aggregate amount of your gifts was approximately $3,600. And so we went to this uh, pharmaceutical warehouse. We bought all the medicine we can get. Here's the really cool thing. We go to this place and, and we sit down outside of the main offices uh, and all of a sudden these drug reps show up from a big French pharmaceutical company and they just were there right at the same time we were there. They, they understood what we were trying to do. They helped us to, to pick the right medicines to buy and, and those are a couple of the guys right there. One guy's name is Robert. He's in the center. He not only spoke French, but he spoke English. And so we got all the medicine. We loaded it up. We got it out there to the village. And they were so thrilled because here's a clinic where they absolutely have nothing. Take a look at this bed. You walk into the clinic and here's one of the beds. There's several beds like that. And if you're like me, you go, what? This is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. What if we walked into a doctor's office and the doctor said, here's the bed, just lay down, I'll be right with you. We would be out of there so fast. We would call our friends and say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. This is the clinic. This is one of the beds. So we also, of course, had to take care of the bed problem. It's like there's so many things that we've got to figure out. But you go to this clinic, they don't have medicine. They've got beds like this. And there are dozens of women sitting on the floor just outside of where this room is. Dozens of women sitting out there with their babies. Dozens outside waiting to get in to be checked. Some of the medicine. I think we have a shot of the, the MD who's there. This, uh, this wonderful woman. There's the, the delivery of everything. And there she is. On, on the left is the MD who runs this clinic. Can you imagine being a doctor in a clinic with nothing, and you're trying to help all these sick people and all these sick babies. How courageous is she? And she goes back day after day. The, the water supply to the clinic was broken. She doesn't have any medication. People are stacked up in the hallway. She's got the, the crazy beds, but she's there because she's committed to being where God wants her to be. And so we delivered the medicine. Uh, we, we also took with us a, a bunch of over-the-counter medication, and we stocked this place as best as we could. They had nothing. If it wasn't for what you did, they would still have nothing. You changed their world. You changed that doctor's world. You changed the lives of so many families because of what you did. Thank you. You were a light in the world right there. Thank you. So let me tell you the story of leadership. We sold purses here from Togo last year, and, uh, or earlier this year, I think it was. And with the money that we 
raised and sent back to Togo, they bought a plot of land about the size of a football field, and they built that church. Uh, it's, uh, it's a makeshift kind of a church, but it's... It's a start. It's suitable. It's in a new area where they didn't have a church before. I met the pastor, Pastor Daniel, and, uh, and you can put probably 100 people in there, and it's a big piece of property. And right down the street from the front door of that church is a voodoo shrine. I say right down the street, right down the, the dirt path from the front door is a voodoo shrine. I walked right past it, and I, I looked over, and then I asked her, where is that? Well, it's a, a voodoo place people, people go. And so when I had the opportunity, I, I talked to Michelle, and I said, let's give Pastor Daniel, let's give him enough money that he can have a big church service one of these upcoming Sundays, and he can buy a whole lot of food. He can invite all the people in this surrounding area including like all the, the people that are doing voodoo. He can invite them all into the church and, and tell them about Christ and tell them about God's love and then say, and now we're going to have this great lunch afterwards and it's all free, it's all given to you because we care about you and we love you. And that speaks so loudly into, into this culture. And you did that. You built a church. You bought a football-sized piece of property for $1,200. You changed the world right there in that little village. The other, the other part of the leadership story is I got to, uh, to teach, and I was able to teach in this church in the, in the capital city. Uh, people were seated all the way out the door into the street. Uh, it's sort of an overflow situation right now, and they're, they're hoping that they can get a new building. Um, and it looks pretty calm and sedate. Let me tell you, it was not calm and sedate. Uh, I'm not used to preaching to that kind of a congregation. You know, everybody's yelling and jumping up and down and, and all that kind of stuff. It, it, really, gets, it really gets going. Uh, if you want to do that this morning, that's okay. But, uh, so, and then I got to do leadership training with a pastor in a really big church. This is Pastor Samuel. Uh, he had all of his volunteer leaders show up, a whole bunch of folks, and this is where they're going to have the leadership summit in October. So all these folks showed up, and I taught them about leadership. I taught them about self-leadership. I taught them about boundaries in leadership. I taught them about forgiveness out of my, my book. I, you know, and it was, it was one of the most amazing times I've ever had teaching and training. They were they were very attentive. It was as if they were taking every word and, and just putting it deep inside somewhere. Uh, and Pastor Samuel was, uh, was translating for me. Um, that's their leadership summit. So here you are in a third world country, in the capital, and they still deeply want to be better. They want to grow. They want to do more with the gifts that God has given them. And so they've got the leadership summit, and they're calling it impacting our generation, impacting our generation. And that's going to happen in August. And we got to encourage that because you allowed me to go and teach them and to encourage them. And this is happening all over the world. People want to do what God wants them to do, even with very little resources. They want to do what he wants them to do. They want to be a light in their world. It's just incredible to be a part of that.
Now let me tell you the story of water, because I know the story of water is on your hearts and you really want to know about it. We went back to the well. This is the well we did three years ago. And you can see it's still working. The water is still flowing. And, uh, and it's good. And it's good. Right now, they're in the rainy season, but there is no rain. This water is dependent upon rain. Because the rain goes into the ground, it goes down to a layer of rock, it pools there, and then it, it pumps up with a pump like this. Um, and I, at this well, had, I guess what you call an epiphany, just this, this big moment of insight, of realizing, oh my goodness, because imagine that that water supply right there that we're looking at, which is good, but now imagine that that's our water supply. Every one of us in this room, everybody in this building, everybody in the reserve next door, that's our water supply. And we have to drink that water, we have to take showers with that water, we have to cook with that water. Every, for all of us, that's it. One access to water. How long would it last before some of us got cranky? Just thinking about it, I'm cranky. I'm not taking showers with 50 of you while trying to get under that little thing there. Um, so while that is good, and while that, you, got, you have to walk 20 minutes from the center of the village to get there, then you gotta fill up a bucket or a big aluminum pan, put it on your head, then you gotta walk 20 minutes back. It's at least an hour water journey, if you wanna do that, and maybe you're gonna do that once a day, twice a day. Maybe you're gonna spend two hours of your day just thinking about going to get water, getting the water, coming back. It all of a sudden it hit me. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. Because while that's good, it doesn't solve the problem. And all of a sudden, I realized what Michelle has been talking to me about for five years. See, even if we did five more wells like that, it doesn't solve the problem because they're dependent upon the rain. If it doesn't rain, we are done. He's always talked to me about, he calls it the big water. We have to do the big water. We have to find the big water. And the big water means going down about 200 plus feet where you have to drill through the rock and then you've got an abundant supply of water forever that's not going away. And I never got that until this trip that it's the big water that we have to figure out how to do. I don't have an answer. I don't know how it's all gonna work. I know we're gonna fund a study. $900 funds a, a geological study so that we can figure out where we hit the big water in the village. There's two locations. I was in both locations. And once we figure that out, like how we, we do it, how we fund it, I don't have all those answers. But it hit me for the first time when I put it in perspective. All of us and everybody in this building and the reserve using that, no, it doesn't work. We wouldn't stand for that for a couple of minutes. There'd be a committee meeting, there'd be an uprising, you'd all be going to First Baptist. It'd be like, you know, we are, we're going where there's water. Simone. Okay, so 
If we think like that, God compels us to think like that for them because they can't do it without us. The story of the water is somehow we got to get to the big water, the big water. Um, what story? What story did, did Jesus Christ tell before the sheep and the goats? It's very interesting. You know, the Bible strategically has all these stories in the right places. And when you begin to, to look at the, the movements and the stories, things start to, to happen. Just before the sheep and the goats, he tells the story about investment. He tells the story about a master who gives three servants an amount of money to invest. And you, you know the story. Uh, the first one he gave $5,000 to. And it says, after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. This is how the, the, message, the message puts it like this. Eugene Peterson put it this way. From now on, be my partner. And then as you know, it comes down to the last person who just sort of hid the money and he said, I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. It says the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. And he says, take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Before the sheep and the goats, Jesus tells a story about how to invest your lives how to get a return, how to be a partner with him for what he's doing in the world. And you have done this, and you have changed the world for this village, this one little corner of the world. That's all you can change anyway, one little corner of the world at a time. But you honored the call of God upon your lives as a church family. God said, do this right here. Kovi Jamake, Togo, West Africa. I assign you to this. Invest yourselves there. Keep investing yourselves there. Double my investment there, and you will be my partner. And I'm thankful that you're that kind of a church. I'm thankful that you're men and women so full of compassion that you would care enough to go and to send and to do and to change people's lives in tangible ways, people who have nothing. So let me tell you my, my last story. I call it Lunch and Jesus. And so, just before we were going to deliver all the medicine to the, to the clinic, we were out there. I think this was Tuesday. It was lunchtime. And right outside the front entrance to the clinic, there's a big tree with branches that spread it creates a canopy. It's like, a, it's like a, a tent that God sent to give shade. And under that big tree, there were at least 40 women and their children. And I counted, so I know. And so 40 women and their children outside under the tree. And then there's also women inside with their babies sitting on the floor. And it's lunchtime. And I look around, and there's, there's a woman who's got a business. And her business is making these little lunches 
in Shalom. She's set up over on this side of the tree here. She's sitting on the ground. She has all her lunches all neatly packaged, and she's ready, she's ready to sell her lunches. Nobody's buying lunch because they don't have any money. On the other side of the tree, there's another woman. She's got her little business. And, and, and she's all set up, and she's got it all. She's got a pot, she's cooked some things, and she's got some rice, and, and she's ready to, to sell these little lunches. But nobody's buying any lunch because nobody has any money. And so I go over, and I look at this woman, and she looks at me, and I say, this is how I talk African with my hands. How much for the whole, it's sort of English hand motions. How much for everything? Feed everybody, okay? How much for everything? Feed everybody. This is why God made Italians. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. It's all we ever do. Feed everybody. So she looks at me like she doesn't understand why I'm doing this. She doesn't. And then all of a sudden, she gets it like that. And she starts moving really fast. And she starts giving lunch. I go over to this woman. I do the same thing. How much everything? Feed, feed everybody. And she looks at me. And she gets it. <laughs> and she starts moving really fast. And all of a sudden, everybody is having lunch. Forty women and more are having lunch. And it cost eight dollars. And I sat down and I started to cry because it cost eight dollars so that everybody could have lunch. That's all. That's all. That's all. And so we have to keep going and we have to keep doing this. And we have to buy the medicine and we have to do the beds because God said, this is where I'm sending you. This is where I want you, Spring Branch, to be a light in the world. I have a man there. His name is Michelle. I put my heart in his heart. And with your hearts and his hearts, his heart, we could change, we could change the world. And you change the world. As all the people were eating, all the women were eating their lunch. And the, they all started talking and chattering. And it, it just went from a solemn moment to a celebrational moment. There was a woman holding a baby. And the baby had this sort of rag bracelet around its wrist. You can, you can barely see it in the picture, but it's sort of down at the bottom there. It's this rag bracelet. I never saw one before. So I said to one of my translator friends, Cephas, ask her, why is there the bracelet on this baby? He talked to her, and he said, it's to keep the evil spirits away. She is not a believer. In other words, she's not a Christian. And I looked at Cephas and I said, this is not good. He said, this is not good. And I said, tell her that Jesus is God and that Jesus sent me here to help. And so he said that to her. Then she spoke something back to him. And I said, what did she say? And he said, now she believes. Now she believes. She came to the kingdom 
because you went to Africa. And even if it was going for that one soul, that was enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a ministry of hope. It's a, it's a work of, of honor. It's a work of joy. It's a humble work of being the church in the world today, right now. This sheer Christianity seeking truth without expectation of resolution, simply living each day, doing what we can to fulfill God's will is more vital than ever. Those are the stories. Thank you for changing the world. Dear Heavenly Father, If we can do more, show us what we can do. If we can get to the, the big water, show us how to get to the big water. If we can bring more medicine, if we can bring more books for school, if we can help fix a school that's falling down, if we can put our arms around more moms and say it's gonna be okay, if we can encourage Michelle to keep teaching and, and being who you made him to be, we are humbly here to serve you. Father, thanks for sending us. Thanks for these stories that have shown us how, with your love and grace, we can change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.